Well, as we learned today, there are now more than 3 million people who fled Ukraine in less than three weeks for neighboring countries and beyond, and millions more on the move inside the country. You can imagine the kind of pressure that puts on humanitarian response. At the same time, there are goods trying to get into Ukraine to help those fighting on the front lines and to help those who are fleeing the violence. Again, providing aid continues to be a struggle, as does trying to get those non-lethal military supplies to those fighting. This is where my next guest comes in. He's a Canadian who once worked for the country's embassy, our country's embassy in Ukraine. He's now busy trying to source, pay for, store, and deliver supplies such as body armor, boots, and more. Don Bowser joins me now. He's a law enforcement and security advisor now volunteering, working to provide those much needed supplies. Don, thank you so much for your time tonight. You're welcome. Um, I know you watched President Zelensky's address earlier today. Um, I'm wondering how it was received where you were in Poland. Well, it was received also by everyone in Ukraine that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's heartwarming to see the response of how many individual Canadians have come out and how uh, they're eager to support Ukraine. So they, they weren't surprised that they get a standing ovation and things like that from the parliament, right? Ukraine has been on the agenda of Canadian support for many years. They were very, you know, affirming that Canada stands with them. However, um, Zelensky's skepticism about the level of international assistance is very much warranted. Um, currently on the ground, and I've uh, been at the border a few times over the last uh, week and a half, and I can tell you that it is a complete mess. Um, there is a complete lack of coordination. There are no international organizations that are visible. All of the millions that have been collected across the board, there is no visible sign of any of the major international agencies. All the work is being done by Ukrainian and Polish NGOs at the moment. Which is, I mean, I know it takes time sometimes to get everyone together, but it seems remarkable that now three weeks in that you're not seeing a more coordinated presence on the ground. Because you're right, I've spoken to Caritas, I'm speaking to you. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of work going on, but it's not being done by who you might expect it to be done by. And in fact, the only organization that I have seen are Caritas and this new one, World Food Kitchen. They're the only ones I've seen that have been giving actual assistance to refugees at the border. So we have millions and millions being collected in Canada. We have everywhere people gathering supplies. Excellent. I applaud everybody who's helping. They're doing a fantastic job. But how are you going to get the supplies to Ukrainians? So the reality is here on the ground is that all of those goods collected in Canada and shipped here are going to be months on a ship by the time they clear customs here, which is a big hurdle and everything else. So what I've been doing is trying to bring in essential non-lethal uh, military assistance is our primary objective. But today we brought over four and a half uh, tons of humanitarian assistance. And the, re the reality is, is that goods procured here on the spot and shipped are able to get to Ukrainians. All of this other assistance that allegedly is coming at some point is just not there. So we're talking about troops that are currently in Kiev are fighting in their street clothes. So I posted the pictures on my Facebook because, I mean, it was just so shocking to see these kids given Kalashnikovs. I talked to a friend in California, his son's on the line, and the same thing. He doesn't have body armor. So what we're trying to do right now is organize um, to be able to buy crucial things like body armor, like thermal underwear, like boots, and things like that, 
and rush them to the troops. It is extremely difficult because essentially we have no resources. So the Canadian project that I work alongside was given a small amount, a very modest amount of assistance, um, which was spent in essentially creating one order and that's it. And, and then we're out. So it's been beg, borrow or steal whatever we can from anybody to ship it in. And so this is the current situation that we see also on the humanitarian front. There's a lot of humanitarian assistance coming from all over Europe. But people drive small cars to the border with a couple of packages. The distribution of that humanitarian aid is not really organized. So you have people bringing stuff in. It's going to go. And it's going mostly in Western Ukraine, where definitely the refugee need is. But the the equipment for the troops is not needed in Western Ukraine as much as it is in Kharkiv and Kiev and other big cities. And so the supply chain for that is much more difficult. So currently, this is one of the big problems we have. Everybody in the world is concerned about Ukraine, but Ukrainians aren't seeing a lot of help on the ground. And the mayor of Lviv has complained about this. The governor of the, of the region has complained about this, is that the Western Ukrainian regions are carrying the bulk of the refugees and they see no international assistance on the ground. I was speaking to a uh, to a young Ukrainian who had been in the States and went right back home, brought some medical supplies with him to Kiev. He's there tonight. Um, and he said, you know, when they got there, they realized there were no medical supplies around. He's ordering them online and, and giving yeah. them out to people. Yes. He says they promise medical supplies, but we don't know where they are. We don't see them. That's right. So where are the giant the UN agencies that have collected millions they ran away from with their international staff at the start of the conflict and have not redeployed to Ukraine. So I'm sorry, but I've been on uh, I've been on social media trolling them a little bit every time that they put out an appeal in Canada. I was saying, where are your people? Where's UNHCR? Where's WFP? Where's the International Red Cross? The Ukrainian Red Cross is doing their job, but what percentage of the donations that are given to the Red Cross are they actually receiving? From what we've heard, not very much. So. You know, as our former ambassador, uh, uh, Rowan Mushuk, was, was saying on his trip to the border the other day, he said the same thing. Where are the international organizations? Where is the European Union? So, so what this is, is a major yeah. crisis uh, in terms of the humanitarian side and the refugee side. And yet we see local organizations taking this all on themselves. So, I mean, you spent time in you understand how diplomacy works. What's happened? Where are they? Well, part of it was they were caught by surprise somehow. Um, so nobody knew that there was going to be a war. So nothing was pre-prepared. As soon as the conflict started, everybody ran away. But 20 days later, you're telling me that they can't come back into place? I, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe counting the money? Don't know. But I just do not see them on the ground. And I talked to actually somebody who's a, who, who's a senior person, a senior Ukrainian on the ground uh, for the UN. And he said the same thing. It's just they are not mobilized. They are not on the ground. So we're seeing it across the board. With all the assistance that people are giving, it will get here too late. This is a war of weeks, not years. So this assistance has to get here now, today. So what we did today, begging literally begging everybody that we could call from different governments and anything else to give us any necessary or not used military gear that we can send in. I can get it to the, to the, to the line. We proved that, right? But we need it. We don't have resources. So, you know, there's only a limit to how much you can crowdfund in terms of getting, you know, a million MREs or 
you know, body armor that costs a thousand dollar a vest. Um, so I can't really ask my, my friends on social media to contribute much more than they've already generously been giving to the cause, but the need is now and the need is going to be in the next days and weeks. And I'm sorry, but the international community is just so bureaucratic and so slow to get this moving. And those paying the price are the people that you're running into every day, I assume, the people you're speaking to every day. Yes. Well, I mean, the refugee situation is, is horrendous. So I started a little initiative in my free time. I, I buy gift cards and hand them out at the, at the railway station to the fresh coming uh, refugees and tell them, look, here's a gift card. You can use it uh, at, the, at the shopping center nearby and you can go to any store. Um, and, and they were very grateful, most of them, um, to, to have this. Some of them were embarrassed. And I understood it, and I didn't really want to push them on this because, you know, if you're not used to having charity, it's difficult sometimes for people. But the reality is, is that it's young children, women coming uh, across the border with basically a carry-on suitcase and sometimes a cat to try and get to safety when you've lost everything. Some people came in just the clothes they had on because they were escaping places like Irpin or Gostomo. So they fled and they have nothing. And uh, on the other end, yes, the Poles have been incredibly generous, as have the Moldovans and the Romanians and everybody else has been incredibly generous to them. But there's also a limit to what people in the countries can do. There's now over 2 million refugees in Poland. And the Poles have said, we're doing all we can, but we also have a limit. Again, where are the international organizations? Speaking to Don Bowser, law enforcement and security advisor, Right now, a volunteer, a Canadian, a volunteer now in Poland, helping to get supplies, much needed supplies into Ukraine. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about what the situation, how the situation has evolved as far as the refugee situation is, is in Poland, as you just mentioned, Don. Uh, we'll get to that after this. I'm back with Don Bowser, law enforcement and security advisor, right now volunteering, a Canadian volunteering in Poland to get supplies, much needed non-lethal military supplies and aid into Ukraine, where it is now needed the most. Um, you mentioned earlier that, that there's clearly an evolving situation on the border. And what the woman from Caritas told me that was, was is that she found at first, many of the people crossing the border seemed to know where they were going. And now you're getting floods of people coming across mm-hmm. who are just, they don't know where they're going now. They're fleeing war. They're not going somewhere different. They're fleeing. And it's, and it's changed the dynamic. And we haven't even begun to appreciate that uh, overseas yet. Yes. I, so the situation is, is that, you know, many of the people who first crossed over were basically had relatives or acquaintances that they were going to, to, to go to in Europe. So they had a place to go. Then the second wave are those that have come from some of the destroyed cities. So you have people coming from Kharkov, you have people coming from the East. Uh, I met several refugees that are double refugees. So they had fled the Donbass in 2014 or Donetsk or Lugansk and gone to the other side of the line and now had to flee again the Donetsk and Lugansk regions. So they've been through this before, but the reality is is that many people now are going and there's nothing to go back to because everything around them had been flattened. So any chance of them returning anytime soon is, is just not very realistic. So you're getting people that are coming that are in far more desperate situations. Yes, uh, you know, met a couple today who drove their Porsche uh, to, to, to Poland, right? So there's refugees in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, but they all share the same thing. They have nothing now left. 
They have left their homes and left everything behind and packed everything they could or taken what little they could and have uh, found refuge now currently in Poland. But then what? And so this is what I've been discussing with several of my friends who are now recovered and they've managed to get out. What do they do? How do they rebuild their lives? Right. So this is one of the big problems is work and things like that. For the time being, you're on the border trying to make sure supplies get into Ukraine. Um, how do, I mean, I, I guess the most obvious, how do you source things? It feels like I was be, speaking to someone earlier who said there are no more medical kits left in pharmacies in Poland or in Germany. They've all been bought. Um, we know we're in the middle of a supply chain train crunch. Um, how will you find the supplies you need to get oh, into Ukraine? You found them. Yeah, I found body armor. I found local producers of body armor in terms of the med packs. I also talked to somebody today that we may be able to get them uh, coming in. The problem is all of this stuff has to clear EU customs. Right. So the only chance you have is to source things within the European Union. That's the quickest way. Talk to other people who had ordered from Israel. It's stuck in Turkey and probably not going to get here. So it's a time game. Ordering stuff in Canada or the U.S. just takes too long because it will never get here in time uh, when it's needed. So there's going to be a big glut of supplies left over after the war is finished uh, very soon. And so, you know, this is one of the big issues right now is that how do we get supplies? And I've just been scrounging everywhere. We've been begging, calling friends, seeing if there are local producers. So I have body armor that's produced here in Poland. We got 88 pieces ready to go. As soon as we have the resources to buy them, those will go right under the front. And the same thing with uh, the med packs as well. So we've actually sourced them here uh, in Poland. We we can get access to them if we had the funds. It, it still seems, and this is a layperson speaking, it still seems remarkable that it is down to you to find body armor in Poland to equip the Ukrainian army, given the kind of announcements and pronouncements we've been hearing for the last 20 days. Yeah. Well, the weapons are going in. So the supply chain from NATO in terms of lethal military assistance all of the weapons are going in in a very smooth fashion. Uh, after the war, I'm sure we're going to hear exactly what, uh, how much uh, NATO countries have actually been doing to support Ukraine. But the problem is it's not a priority in, term, in the military view about making sure that their soldiers have boots, right? They've been putting guns. Everybody's got a gun and everybody has ammunition. But the crucial part of it now is to equip soldiers. So as I said, in the northern part of Kiev, we have one territorial defense unit that's fighting in their street clothes. They don't have anything. So they've asked for my assistance, and I have to go around and beg everybody to just please give us something so we can get it to them on the line. So, I mean, this is one of the big issues that we have is that the needs are uh, tremendous. The humanitarian system is, is, uh, is starting to at least work, and in terms of some humanitarian assistance from all over Europe is getting to people. Um, but the situation inside Ukraine is still disastrous, and you have them, the mayors uh, of, of Lviv coming out and saying, where's the international community? Why are they, why are they not distributing this? There is no central collection points for all the humanitarian assistance. So I've been working closely with the former governor of uh, the Donetsk region uh, from the government-controlled side, who dealt with exactly this issue for five years in the Donbass. He knows this issue. And together, uh, we've been calling everybody we can to say, please rectify this. We saw it in the Donbass is that you don't have an equal distribution of, of assistance across. It's not going to where it's needed. It's simple logistics. I asked uh, friends of friends here in Poland. They gave me a warehouse. So I have a warehouse. I found a local NGO that has trucks and is willing to help. Right. 
So, I mean, it's just that simple. It's people helping people. And this is the only way that it's cur- currently going in. I really, really hope that the international organizations get off their butts and actually start doing stuff, especially given the amount of resources that they have. They have millions, if not billions, gathered in the last uh, three weeks. So all of this assistant, uh, you know, Kutcher and the rest of them that have all of this money, none of that is getting to people in Ukraine today. Are you hearing at least any sign of where it might be or, or, or why it's taking so long for this engine to get rolling, considering how urgent the need is? Well, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's very unclear in terms of the, the regular agencies who deal with this. They work in crisis zones across the world. Um, so this shouldn't be terribly different. Um, yes, it's a war, but you work in war zones. I've worked in this is my, my fifth war uh, over the years. So, I mean, I've never seen it in where it's so disorganized in terms of uh, so close to the European border. We're not out in the middle of the desert someplace here. This is not Darfur or anywhere else. You can get supplies into Europe relatively easy, but the bureaucratic procedures are there in terms of customs and other things. But really, it's a, just a lack of a, a, a lack of uh, movement in terms of people getting stuff in. It's a lack of response from the European Union. So the polls have asked the uh, what's called Frontex, the European Border Police, to come and help them because they're completely overwhelmed at the border. So, you know, the response has been extremely slow, but it seems to start moving now. Don Bowser, thank you so much for your insight and for that information. We'll certainly catch up. I appreciate your time. Great. Thanks. Talk to you soon.